But in this case, we have a wonderful message about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's true. He loves us. He cares about us. I just really love that last song that we sang together. The sermon text this morning comes from Philippians 2, verses 17 through 30. And I've entitled it, The Joy of Self-Forgetfulness. The Joy of Self-Forgetfulness. In 1980, the company where I worked was sold, and the man who owned it received a $10 million check. Today's dollars, that's about $36 million, to give you an idea, perspective. A year later, he was asked, well, how you doing? Are you enjoying your financial windfall? Is life good? Are you happy? And he said, well, you know, I'm working really hard on a bunch more of different things and I'm trying to earn a lot more money. And you know, I'm really not all that happy right now. Things aren't really as good as I thought they were gonna be. So he wasn't full of joy. He wasn't content even though he had this amazing amount of money, could buy anything he wanted, could send his kids to any school he wanted to send them. Why wasn't he content? Why wasn't he full of joy? Why was he so determined to keep making more money? It hadn't worked for him the first time, but he is intent on continuing the same thing. It's like, if it doesn't work for you the first time, then maybe you ought to think about, you ought to change things and think more differently about how you're living your life. His problem, that he was thinking about himself all the time. Everything that he did revolved around him. He had a big issue with his pride. His self-worth was built on how much money he had versus other people. He kept trying to get more money so he could feel like he was better and better than other people. And compare him then with or contrast him with the Apostle Paul who is in jail. And he has no money. He's totally dependent on other people all the time. He's a prisoner, and yet he's full of joy. What's the difference? And I have to ask us this question this morning. Where is your joy? Are you full of joy this morning? Are you content with your circumstances? What was Paul's secret? How could he be in jail and be full of joy and being content in his circumstances? Well, hopefully that's what we're gonna discover this morning. And I hope this will bless you as we look into how Paul solved these things, how he was thinking. And we'll all learn a lot more about how to enjoy our lives and how to be content in our circumstances. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 2, verses 17 through 30. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon 
so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honors, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we... We thank you for your presence with us here this morning. We thank you for your spirit that indwells every Christian here. And we pray that your spirit would illumine our hearts with this word that we're gonna look into this morning, that you would speak to each one of us uniquely as we have need and what you wanna teach us and reveal to us. And we thank you for that, that you are a God who loves us and works in us and continues to create more and more Christ's likeness in us day by day. So we rejoice in you and in your word. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are three Christian men in these verses. One is Paul, one is Timothy, and one is Epaphroditus. And they're men who are gospel partners of the, in Christ. First, let's look at Paul in verses 17 and 18 where he said, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul was thinking like Jesus thought as we've looked at this in previous weeks. He understood the mind of Christ and he thought like Christ did and lived his life like Christ did as best as he could. And Jesus had poured out his life as a sacrificial drink offering on the, Christ, on the cross for us. And so Paul's thinking about pouring his life out. Uh, and so when, what Paul's really saying here is that I know that you're worried about me because I'm in prison in Rome and my life might be ended at any time on a pagan altar. I have no guarantees here. I could die at any moment. But please know that even if that happens, my life is not the important thing. The important thing is your faith in Christ because that's gonna live on. That's gonna to continue to lead you and guide you. And so the gospel will continue to advance even if I'm not alive anymore. It's your faith in Christ, which was a gift from God that will continue things. So if, my, if I die, my life will only be like a drink offering poured out on the far greater offering of your faith. It's amazing, isn't it? So your faith in Christ is the basis and the foundation of all the future works 
that you continue to do. So he tells them, you know, you've done well for the last 10 years in my absence, but I know you're gonna continue because it's the presence and the power of God, your faith in Christ that will continue. It's not any one person that's gonna dictate this, not any human being, but it's faith in Christ. And so we see the same thing going on here as we go through this transition. It's not all based on the former pastor. It's based on the work of Christ in us. And that's gonna continue. And it can be a little bit nervous sometimes, but we're trusting in Christ, the work of Christ in us and through us. And so as we saw earlier at the informational meeting, the search is ongoing. And God's gonna be involved in that. And he's gonna work through our pastoral search committee. And I'm trying to slow him down a little bit so I won't have to leave too soon. <laughs> I really love you guys. I really enjoy this, this congregation. But anyway, they're at work. And we know that they're gonna choose just the right man to come in and lead uh, this congregation uh, as it goes forth in the middle of God's will. And so Paul was using himself as an example of gospel humility and obedience to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Jesus is the one who's the king. He's the one who's the Lord over this church. He's the one that's gonna continue to work. And so it's faith in him then that is the thing that's important for us. So what he's saying here in verse three, earlier in the chapter is in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He's not saying count them as significant. He's saying count them more significantly. Now that's a real challenge. And I don't know very many people that can do that, honestly, including myself. It's hard. And so we see how Christ had chosen to humble himself by becoming obedient to the word of God to the point of death, it says, even death on a cross. Why? For others. He didn't do it for himself, he did it for others. And so we see Paul copying Jesus, emulating himself after what Jesus had done. And so he's humbling himself, like Jesus had chosen to humble himself. And that's why he's saying, you know, even if I die, you know, I'm just a drink offering being poured out, but your faith is gonna continue. And so Paul's doing it for others. He's not concerned about himself. He's not overly concerned and burdened by the fact he might even die at any moment. He's not sure. God hasn't revealed that to him at this point. So he's living for others. And this is the challenge, again, for us as we think about that. So he's encouraging the Philippians to choose to humble themselves, first of all, before God and his word. That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul is doing. And now that's what he's calling the Philippians to do. And guess where that leaves us? That's what we should be doing, right? That's what we should be doing. We should hunger for these things. And so when we do, then that's how we're going to experience joy. That's how we're going to get content. Not trying to get the next hired job. Not trying to have more money in our bank account. Not trying to be better looking or lose more weight, whatever. <laughs> it's 
humbling ourselves before God in terms of obeying him, thinking about others. And we see this in John 15, 10 through 11. Kent got us up to that point earlier as he was sharing uh, John 15. But now it goes on to say and conclude with these words. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you and your joy may be full. So what is this saying? It's saying, you know, when we're living in line with God's will, then we're sensing God's pleasure. Think about those who are parents. Do you have pleasure when your kids are obeying? (laughs) How about when they're disobeying? (laughs) So it's very similar that uh, God has a great joy when he sees us living our lives in a way that will bless ourselves, humbly obeying the word of God. And that's where when God has that sense of pleasure, then he pours that joy. Jesus gives us his joy, which can't be as great unless he gives that to us. You can't ever get a fullness of joy without perfect obedience to the word of God. Well, I shouldn't say perfect, but as best you can at this given time, humbling yourself before the word. And so it's so important. And so Jesus wants to impart that joy to us. Guess who stops the joy from happening? Me. I find all kinds of other things that I can do besides blessing myself by being in the word more on a regular basis. So we choose to humble ourselves before the word of God. It means to become self-forgetful. I'm gonna live for Christ. I'm gonna stop living for myself. We stop trying to please ourselves when we become self-forgetful. Pleasing Jesus becomes our supreme motive. We wanna glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is where the joy starts to fill us once again, regardless of our circumstances. Paul's living proof of this as we're reading this this morning. And so amazing things begin to happen in your life when you start to become more and more self-forgetful like this as you spend time in the word and enjoying the Lord more. Our marriages improve. Wow. Yeah. Our parenting improves. Our prayer lives improve. Our love for others improves and increases. Our gospel sharing with the world increases. And Jesus fills us with his joy. And isn't that what we want? Something we can't attain in our own works and in this world on our own. So when you choose to be self-forgetful, you're making a choice. You're making a choice to be more joyful and more content. And that's a beautiful choice. That's a wise choice. And it's gonna bless you. I'm gonna have a little example here. It's a little confession. 
gonna let you guys in on my private life. Um, so, my wife Diane loves to go to yard sales. So yesterday morning, she opens the door, the apartment we live in, I think it's Newtown uh, area, Homeowners Association, and lo and behold, there's signs out there, yard sales, right? So she said, she's all excited, goes in, you know, gets ready, goes out, asks me if I want to go with her. And I'm reading something that I was interested in at the, that point in time, and I'm thinking, I don't like yard sales, which I really don't. And I said, nah, you go on by yourself. And so she goes trotting out and comes back a little while. Now she's all a Twitter and happy and got this sheet of paper. It's like nine different yard sales that are in our neighborhood. And so um, she had a chance to meet some of the neighbors. So anyway, last night, amazing how this happened while I'm preparing a sermon, but... Uh, sermon example here, right? So anyway, last night, the Holy Spirit just convicted me. My selfishness. <laughs> so what I should have done, what the Spirit was very clear about, was I should have thought of her more than I thought of myself. I should have wanted to be with her and enjoy what she was doing more than what I was doing. I had a choice and I made a very poor choice. Not only that, but as she went out you know, visiting these different yard sales, I also missed out on the opportunity to go out and meet my neighbors. Guilty. I was selfish. And so I asked God to forgive me, confess to Diane, and of course she always forgives me. She's a delight. So anyway, that's my confession for this morning. Now, the second man that Paul brings to our attention is Timothy in verses 19 through 22. Timothy had joined Paul on his second missionary trip in the little town of Lystra in modern-day Turkey, and he was about 21 years old at that time. And he had seen Paul on the first missionary journey he'd had when he came and established the church there at Lystra. And so he was aware that Paul had been stoned and left for dead and rose up from that experience. So he'd seen some very interesting things uh, in terms of what God was doing in Paul's life. And so as Paul was traveling and going over to uh, Philippi, then he was with him, Timothy was with him and he saw the church planted there and he saw the different miraculous things that were going on. And so he was in training as an evangelist and a pastor under Paul. They had a great relationship. And so Paul reveals four things about Timothy that showed that God was working, working in him both to will and to work for God's good pleasure, which is mentioned here in, verse, in chapter two. That's a very important passage, both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. And that's what he's doing in each one of us. So God's at work, the Holy Spirit's at work. He's not absent. This is always going on. We're growing step by step, day by day. And so what are these four things? Well, first, their relationship was like a father and a son. And that was a little bit unusual because Paul was a Jew. And 
Timothy had this mixed parentage of Jewish and Gentile. And so Paul was taking him under his wing, treating him like a son. What a beautiful thing that is, that, that training, that love that a father has towards a son. So he was experiencing this love from Paul. And also training as Paul saw the gifts that were in him and he became understanding and more and more of who he was. And Paul says something very interesting about Timothy. He says, I had no one else like him. So he intimately knew Timothy's heart and he saw the gifts and the talents that were in him. And he was helping him develop those gifts and talents. And also Timothy accepted that role. He didn't try to usurp Paul. He said, yes, I'm here to learn. I'm here to be as a son to you. And so I'm going to grow and I'm going to mature in that. I'm not going to try and push Paul aside and take over. I'm going to wait on the Lord. And he'll put me where he wants me when he wants to do that. Secondly, Timothy was genuinely concerned for the Philippians' welfare. He had a shepherd's heart. And he proved that. Just like Jesus and Paul had shepherd's hearts. He wanted to take care of the flock. He wanted to, to protect them from wolves and Judaizers and people that were coming in trying to hurt the flock. So there's very few people that were like that. Thirdly, verse 21 says, he did not seek his own interests, but only the interests of Jesus. Wow. He wasn't selfish. Maybe a little bit. We, none of us are pure <laughs> in that regard. But he always put Jesus' interests before his own in his relationships with others. He was always trying to glorify Christ. So he counted the Philippians' interests more significant than his own interests, just like Paul did. Fourthly, he was a team player for Jesus. He worked with Paul, with Paul. He wasn't thinking of working for Paul, he worked with Paul. So they labored together for the advancement and the proclamation of the gospel. And Timothy proved then before Paul that he knew how to love the church. He knew how to maintain healthy relationships. And he'd learned these things from Paul. So Timothy had chosen to humble himself and be self-forgetful. He was not interested in self-glory, but in glorifying Jesus. The third man Paul brings to our attention is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a layman. He didn't have any special office in the church. He was a mighty man of God. This is what God had called him to. And so we see that Paul says that he wants the Philippians to give him much praise and honor when he goes back. It's not anybody who's recognized as an officer in the church or any, even any kind of leader but he was serving with all his heart. And so Epaphroditus is praised for four things. First, Paul called him his brother in Christ. So there's a relationship there of a brother to a brother. That's how Paul saw him. Paul was Jewish, Epaphroditus was Greek, yet Paul called him a brother. 
Christian church is comprised of people from all different nations going around the world. And we're all brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And there will be representatives from every nation, every people group on the final day before Christ and be part of the eternal body of Christ. We're all one in Christ. Secondly, Paul praised him for being his fellow worker on Team Jesus. He had proven himself as a hard worker and self-forgetful for Jesus during his stay with Paul in Rome. Thirdly, Paul praised him for being a fellow soldier on Team Jesus. He had fought the good fight, the fight for the gospel side by side with Paul. He was in the trenches with him. He was aware of spiritual needs and, and the fight that takes place there. And he traveled from Philippi to Rome in order to serve Paul, minister to his needs. And that was no easy trip. It was about 800 miles, difficult journey. He'd done that because he wanted to. He was giving his life up. He was more interested in the interests of Paul than his own interests. And then as we see this passage here, now he's worried about the people back in Philippi. <laughs> he's more interested in their needs and getting back there as well. He's worried about what they're thinking about, even more than his own health. So Epaphroditus is an example of what it means to sacrifice his own self-interest for the interests of others. He was self-forgetful. And then Paul instructs the Philippian church to receive him with honor and joy. Wow, isn't that what we all want? These three men, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, had chosen to be self-forgetful and humble themselves by counting others more significant than themselves. They patterned their lives of self-forgetfulness and self-sacrifice after Jesus' model of self-forgetfulness and self-sacrifice. So how did they become like Jesus? How did they get to that point? What changed their thinking and behavior? Paul says it was gospel humility. For example, an ambitious, angry, selfish, prideful and joyless Paul met Jesus on the Damascus road. changed his life, became a new creature in Christ. His problem had been pride. He was not self-forgetful. On the contrary, he was thinking about himself all the time and living for his own self-glory. That's why he was on his way to Damascus, persecute the, the church there in Damascus. But he found no joy or contentment. And that's what happens when we're operating in a selfish way. So we're thinking more about ourselves than other people. Paul was living for his self-glory at that point. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis tells why Paul had no joy or contentment because of his pride. It says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, 
but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. Pride is exaltation of self and thinking about oneself all the time. Why do you choose not to do certain things? You're thinking about self. All I have to do is mention one word that starts with a capital E and people start shrinking. (laughs) Evangelism, (laughs) sharing our faith. Why do we not do that? We're self-protective. That's not meant to create guilt. I'm just saying that's, I do the same thing. It challenges us. Remember my former boss who sold his company, made a fortune, but lacked joint commitment? It was pride that drove him to want even more money. He had no joy or contentment because he was thinking about himself all the time. And he was comparing himself with men that have more money. But before we start judging him, are you ready to apply this information? (laughs) We need to understand that we all struggle with pride too, every one of us. We all struggle with pride some way, shape, or form. Who do you think about most? I think about myself more than anybody else. It's my default position. And I bet a lot of you two do as well. We're all selfish. Pride caused Satan to want to take the place of God. Move over, God. I want to be God. And so we have that nature that's within us, that's battling our new nature, that divine nature that wants to please God. So who do you compare yourself with? Are you a good singer? There's a better singer around, do you compare yourself? Are you a good athlete? There's better athletes. You know, Tim Keller, who just recently died, a couple days ago, used to tell this story about how people coming from other parts of the country were the best, let's say, violin player in their whole community. And then they go to New York City and they arrive there and they get off the bus and there's somebody that's got a little basket or something there waiting for money to be dropped in who's a better violin player than you are. And so everything becomes about you. And, and you have to ask yourself, why are you not joyful and content in your circumstances? And all of us struggle with that. So pride steals your joy and your contentment. It steals it. So we find that self-forgetfulness and obeying the word of God is the pathway to joy and contentment. But we need God's help. We need God's grace to do these things. You know, how often do you start out a Bible study, you know, plan and say, okay, I'm gonna read through the Bible in a year. 
There's all kinds of different studies out there. But you start out great for about two weeks and something else crowds in. And then you get off doing other things and you forget. And then you start feeling guilty about it. That's not God either. It's an attitude he wants. That's what he's developing in us. You're gonna miss a Bible reading once in a while, no matter what your plan is. But God loves you and he knows that. He's not gonna beat you up or hurt you or damage you in any way because you miss a Bible reading. So basically, God is gonna help us to be self-forgetful. His grace is sufficient to do that. But we've got to be there asking him, that's our role. Lord, I see how selfish I am, now will you please Forgive me for that, and will you please you know, give me a heart that's, that's more desiring your word, more trying to live in a way that is a servant of all. Help me to glorify you at all times. Ask, and you shall receive, the Bible says, and that's the type of thing that it's talking about. You're asking for things that are in line with God's will, and God's will is to create desire in you to do God's work and to receive the pleasure of doing that. So Paul learned the importance of self-forgetfulness. He wrote about it in verses seven and eight. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, that's obedient to the word of God, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus experienced joy when he humbled himself on the way to the cross because of what is going to happen in gaining us. He did it for others, not for himself. And that's what Paul is saying. Same thing. As he's obeyed the Lord, the Lord has placed him in that Roman prison. And so he's there for God's purposes, which we've looked at in the past. And now he's got that joy where he's serving others in that position. But Paul had learned that self-forgetfulness meant that he did not care what people thought about him or even what he thought about himself. I mean, sometimes we get tripped up by that, don't we? We're comparing ourselves to others and we judge ourselves and we worry too much what other people think about us. It holds us back sometimes. So he's living to please Jesus in whatever circumstances Jesus placed him in. I'm living for Christ. I'm not living for me. So he learned that true self-forgetfulness was not thinking more of himself or thinking less of himself. True self-forgetfulness was thinking about himself less not more or less in terms of what he thought about himself, but thinking of himself less and thinking about pleasing Jesus more. And when we think about ourselves less, we experience the joy and the contentment of self-forgetfulness. And we're freed more and more of the joyless bondage of pride. We become more joyful and more content we become more like Jesus. It's a process. We're not gonna flip a switch and just see all of a sudden everything's changed and I'm just full of joy all the time. 
No, we've got that inner battle that's taking place every single day. But as we see these things, we've got a place to take it. We can take it to that throne of grace before our Lord and, and confess where we're struggling in our selfishness and God will continue to change us and help us to be more and more self-forgetful. You know, we had an example in the Old Testament reading this morning, in Jeremiah 29. So the Israelites had been conquered by the Babylonians under the guidance of God. God sent them in because he was judging the Israelites. And so there were many people who had died. People that were exiled now were in Babylon and they'd lost everything. They were slaves to the Babylonians. That was their position. They had no savings accounts, they had no homes. They were dependent on the Babylonians for everything. And not only that, they were thinking about how they had lost relatives maybe who they'd seen die as the Babylonians had come in and conquered and then taken them away from their homeland. Did you hear what God's instructions were to the Babylonians, I mean to the Jewish people who were living now in Babylon? He said, seek their welfare. What? Seek their welfare? And pray for them. Pray for these people that have hurt me like this? Damaged me? See, you can only do this through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and and a God who gives you the grace to do that. And so this is where they had to become self-forgetful and to glorify Christ. These are hard places for us to be. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever you're struggling with this morning, circumstances, broken relationships, God says the way forward is through self-forgetfulness, through humility before God and trusting him to work out these relationships or these circumstances that you feel hurt in. And he will do that. And so our, our hope this morning is that the Lord will help us to stop thinking about ourselves so much and help us to count others as more significant than ourselves. Help us to do that, O Lord. May you continue to develop a greater self-forgetfulness in us that we may experience greater joy, greater contentment in our circumstances. And may we rejoice that Jesus wants us all to experience a fullness of joy and a perfect contentment as he works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So yes, Paul had discovered the secret of joy and the secret of contentment, to will and to work for God's good pleasure, not his. May we do the same. Let's pray. Father, uh, these things are so hard for us. These challenges are greater than anything we can do in our own strength. And so we long for your grace and your mercies afresh this morning, that we have hope, even though we can think of ways that we've been selfish recently, that we have the hope of Jesus, the forgiveness that comes, Lord, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you bring us that joy and contentment we all long for. In Christ's name, amen.